Now we give a very warm welcome today to everybody joining with us for a worship, both to those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 61. It's page 293 of the Psalter. It's at the beginning of the song, O God, give ear unto my cry and to my prayer attend. From the utmost corner of the land my cry to thee I'll send. What time my heart is overwhelmed and in perplexity, do thou me lead unto the rock that higher is than I. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 61. O God, give ear unto my cry.
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we sing these songs, we pray that we would stop and ponder the truths that are contained within them. May we all this day come before you saying, O God, give ear unto my cry. May we believe that you are indeed not only the creator of this world, but you are the sustainer and the preserver of it. You watch over us all day, every day. But we are not here simply because you are the creator and the preserver. Thankfully, you are also the redeemer. And uh, we thank you that we come this day as poor, wretched sinners, but with a glorious hope that we have not uh, created ourselves. It's been your idea. It's your doing. Because we read in this your word that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We live in a world surrounded by death. And we remember those that we know well, perhaps, who are coming near to the end of life's journey and who are afraid. Draw nigh to them and bless them and help them. We remember as a community the patient's family this day as they mourn someone they love dearly. There isn't a week goes by but someone moves from this world into the great beyond. There is something so inevitable about it and we must all pass this way. And in the song we have been singing the psalmist was overwhelmed by things he met along life's way. We pray that in our being overwhelmed with many things that we would turn to you. And even when we feel overwhelmed by the prospect of our own passing from this world may we remember that we are here this day to conquer the one who mastered death. We are here today because there is an empty grave in the land of Israel. These are not things we have conjured up in our own minds. These are things that we have gleaned from the revelation that you have given to us within this book before us, the Holy Bible. We thank you once again that you have remembered us in our plight. And we pray that we would listen to you and that we would find the blessing that comes from rendering obedience to you. But even as we utter these words, we feel a deep sense of shame because we know how we fail you, day in, day out. But you know even better how we fail you. But we thank you that the blood of Christ is sufficient for the cleansing of all our sins. We give thanks, O Lord, for the sound of little voices in our midst. Bless them, born and unborn. We give thanks indeed for everyone here, part of the congregational family. We remember others who would be here if they could but who cannot. We think particularly this day of the likes of the Reverend Neil Shaw and of David McRae and Ricky McRae, our elders. We pray that Ricky would 
be able to get strong enough for the next part of his treatment. O Lord our God, our prayer is this, that every problem that comes our way might usher us further under the shadow of the wing of Jesus of Nazareth. Or to change the metaphor, that we might find ourselves more solidly rooted on the rock who is Christ, of whom we have just been singing in the very song we have sung. O Lord, come in amongst us. We have nothing to woo you with, nothing. We have so much that would cause you to shun us. But we are here today because you are who you are. So have mercy upon us afresh and come in us and amongst us and help us and enable us to worship in spirit and in truth. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let me speak to the young people for a moment or two. You know, I came down uh, yesterday. We had the Saturday lectures. And when uh, I came down to the car park out here, it was just, it was like an ice rink. It was just so slippery. In fact, when Mary passed out of her car, I went to hold her hand in case she slipped on the ice. It was just so, and I said, get on to the grass and walk, walk, walk on the grass. And we weren't here on Wednesday because the, the meeting was um, uh, put off because there was a missionary meeting over in, um, in Ferentosh. But because we share the parking with the school, uh, the school mother, mums and dads and grannies and carers were coming into our car park onto a lot of snow and obviously the snow got hard packed and... Um, it was uh, it was very very slippery. In fact, I was thinking, if it's still like this today, I'm going to put bollards out there, and everybody will have to go into the school car park because there was a tractor in the school car park uh, getting rid of all the snow and putting salt and sand everywhere. So they had gotten rid of their ice. So I thought, well, it's too dangerous for people to come into our car park today. They'll all go into the school. But lo and behold. There is no ice out there today. It's all gone. And it's all gone for one reason and one reason only. The weather has gotten a wee bit warmer. I think on Friday night it was minus four and a half at our house. But the next day, Saturday, it was seven and a half degrees. That's a huge change. I'm, I think it might be even higher than seven and a half degrees today. The weather has got warmer. And out in that car park, it's all changed. You can walk, no bother. You won't slip on the ice uh, today. And that reminds me of this. You know, when I speak every time, I try to bring our minds and our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm always saying that I hope that we are all trusting in him as the one who will take away our sins and take us to heaven. But in order for him to do that, we must believe him. We must believe what he says to us in the Bible. Sometimes we call that having faith. But wherever someone believes, and wherever there is such faith, their lives change. 
And that's the big question, not just for young people today, but for older people as well. Do we see the changes in our lives that are part of what being a believer or being a Christian really is? Now, don't get me wrong about this. Some people think that when people become Christians, that means they're finished with sin. That's not the way it... Wherever the idea comes from, it doesn't come from the Bible. Because the Bible is full of people who were believers in God, who struggled with falterings and failings and getting things wrong, right throughout their lives. But that having been said, there are changes in the life of of a believer. Just like that car park, it was so slippery yesterday, today it's all changed. You can see the tar, you can walk quite easily. Big change. That's the way it is in the lives of every believer, whether young or whether old. And I hope that we can see in the lives of one another that change that is just so important. Now let's sing again uh, to God's praise. This time it's in Psalm number 62, and that's found on page that's found on page 80 of uh, the Psalm book. Page 80. It's verse 5. Find rest, my soul, in God alone. In Him my hope is ever sure. My safety fortress, sheltering rock. In Him alone I am secure. My honour and salvation rest on God, my rock and mighty fort. All people trust in him always. To him alone pour out your heart. We'll sing verses 5 to 12 of Psalm 62. Find rest, my soul, in God alone.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 7. We'll read at the beginning of the chapter. After he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and the great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, And the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? 
What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? <clears throat> Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute to you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eat, has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from uh, his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O, o Lord our God. As we turn to explore this area of your word this day we ask you to help us you know what's going through the mind of every one of us sometimes we feel a sense of our own sinfulness and vileness to the extent that we just want to take to our heels and run and hide from you but there are no hiding places from this, in this world from the all seeing eye of a holy God we know it and we know that you know it but there is one hiding place the rock the rock who is a refuge so we sung these very words in that song we've just been singing we thank you that there is a rock and a refuge for sinners even the greatest of sinners Hopefully that is why we are here this day. And we ask you to come in amongst us and to help us. Please help us. In the preaching, in the hearing, in the singing, in the praying, in the meditating. Please be with us. And may the end effect of it all be that we want to bow down and worship you all over again this day. Because you are who you are hear us we pray remember us and our loved ones wherever they may be across this globe this day O Lord have mercy on us all and gather us all to be with yourself in the world beyond this one and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen now let's continue to sing to God's praise this time at Psalm 63 and it's page 80.
it's at verse 6 sorry it's at verse 1 Psalm 63 page 80 at verse 1 O God you are my God alone I seek your face with eagerness my soul and body thirst for you in this dry weary wilderness I've seen you in your holy place your power and glory held my gaze far better is your love than life and so my lips will sing your praise we'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63 O God you are my God alone
Now let's turn to the passage we've read. We'll read again in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7 and verse 29. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And I suppose to make sense of these verses I've just read, we need to pull in verse 28. The words of Jesus, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of scripture. I started a series of uh, sermons on John the Baptist a long time ago, but events caught up with us and we've had to leave it for quite some time now. But I want to come back to preach a few more sermons uh, if we're spared on John the Baptist. And just to refresh our minds, I want to say a little bit about the last sermon that was preached on John the Baptist, and it was in verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now let's get it back into context. At 30 years old, Jesus began his public ministry. But it wasn't as if everything is brand new to the people because there was somebody who went before Jesus. He's called the forerunner of Jesus and he was a cousin of Jesus and we know of him as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was there on the Judean hillsides preaching to vast crowds of people and basically in a nutshell he was giving them a message that we must repent and believe for the remission of sins. Now, repentance and belief or repentance and faith are twins. You never get one without the other. And remember what repentance is. It is to recognize sin for what it is. You know, I think all of us at some stage in our lives have been ducking and diving the reality of sin and just pretending it's not there or it's not really as serious as it is and you know it's an uncomfortable place to be because this is the way I would describe it it's being on the run from God I don't know maybe you're here today on the run from God there's lots of people who are on the run from God and what I find difficult to fathom out is when you think of how gracious and willing to forgive sin God is why on earth would we run from him what you and I today must do is we must run to him and this is where someone will come in and say ah yes but you don't really understand who I am and what I am if you knew the enormity of sin in my life you would understand I don't need to know anything about the sin in your life I have enough in my own life and your sin and my sin needs to be dealt with and there's only one way of dealing with it and that is to run to Jesus as you and I are you know the sign on the door says come as you are 
I guess that's an invitation for people they don't have to put on their Sunday best or dress in a particular way to come to this house of God I guess that's what that's saying but there's another sense in which we cannot come to God except as we are and you know what we are we are sinners and you know what's good and healthy and wholesome and therapeutic for us is to admit that to ourselves but also to admit it to God and to come in all our poverty and in all our weakness and in all our blemishes and say to God will you please help me and he's more willing to help us than we are to be to be helped and it's the same message that John the Baptist had as Jesus of Nazareth himself would deliver when his public ministry began and you know what John John was there preaching to thousands of people and when Jesus appears in the scene what John is saying to them is this look at him in other words that word is behold it's, it's basically saying this I want you to concentrate on this I want you to pay attention to this I want, to give you, I want you to give your minds to this and after he says that behold he says behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of, uh, of the world and John knew who Jesus was because we read that the Spirit of God opened his eyes to see who Jesus really, really was. And he's speaking there with confidence and he's preaching with confidence. Not a confidence derived from him in and of himself, but a confidence derived from leaning on the Spirit of God. But right now it's all change in the experience of John the Baptist. He spoke to Herod the king and he told Herod the king that his marriage, Herod had married his brother's wife and John said it's wrong. And you know, it's interesting, Herod didn't like John saying that. Now Herod was the king and you know, at a time when you had almost the divine right of kings where they could do whatever they wanted I guess that Herod could have eliminated John just like that but he didn't and do you know why? because he listened to what John had to say he knew that there was something of the truth in the message and in the teaching of John the Baptist now his wife was even worse than Herod and she would have gladly had him slaughtered but she couldn't because Herod had a conscience about it and Herod is doing battle with his conscience but ultimately just to show off on one given occasion King Herod threw a great party and part of the party was this it wasn't just so that the important people in the realm could come and enjoy themselves it was so that they would see how great Herod really was in other words it was an ego trip now the bottom line is this we all have ego trips we all struggle with our pride we all think that we're far more important than we really are 
And in that respect we're like Herod. But Herod threw his party. And just to impress the people that had come along, he basically said to his wife's daughter, you can ask for whatever you want up to the half of my kingdom and I'll give it to you. That was a big thing. That was a big thing. But not in his wildest dreams did Herod think that she would ask for what she asked for. But she was obviously a person who was under the huge influence of her mother. And she asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And if ever there was a moment for somebody on an ego trip to get off this ego trip and to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I've got it wrong here. If ever there was a moment for that, this was it. But you know, pride is a massive problem for us all. And it gets us into all kinds of tricky situations and it creates all kinds of problems in our lives. And Herod wasn't for backing down. And ultimately, John the Baptist was beheaded. But that hasn't happened yet. Right now, John the Baptist is still in the prison, in the dungeon that Herod had confined him to. And it's not as if John the Baptist, because he was a man of God and he had the, we read that he had the Spirit of God from his mother's womb. It's not as if because he had these things that John the Baptist is just sailing through everything. It's not like that. Because he went on a downer. And he succumbed to spiritual depression when he was in the prison cell. And the man who at one moment was saying, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world is sending two of his followers to Jesus and saying... Are you the Christ? Or should we look for another? Now that is a reminder to us that on our earthly pilgrimage as believers it's not all going to be plain sailing. That's a guarantee. How do we know that? Because God himself has told us that in this world we shall have tribulation. And sometimes what really astonishes us is the type of tribulation that God puts our way. And it can have a massive effect upon us. And And the believer that at one moment is so radiant and so confident and seems to be being used so much of God can just dive into the darkest gloomiest scenario doesn't mean that they are not believers no it doesn't was John the Baptist a believer was he gloriously saved or let me put it another way where is the soul of John the Baptist today it's around the throne of this Christ that he was the forerunner of and he basks in the glory of God's salvation but right now it's so dark and it is so gloomy and Jesus is saying to these people what did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed blown in the wind someone who would say one thing one moment and something else the next to believe one thing one moment and something else the next no 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 that's not what you went out to see 
Did, did, then did you go out to see someone dressed in beautiful clothing that you would find in, in, in a palace? And, and that's talking about those who were yes men and who would always go along with what a ruler was saying and um, be recompensed for it. That's not the way with John the Baptist. John the Baptist could have just kept his mouth closed about the wrongdoings of Herod and Herodias, but he didn't. He said, you know, in the eyes of God, what you're doing is wrong. And he paid a very, very heavy price for it. Well, what did you go out to see? You went out to see a prophet. Yes, yes, but more than a prophet. More than a prophet. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And we spoke about the greatness of John. We spoke about various things uh, about John. One of the great things about John the Baptist was this. Hundreds of years beforehand, the prophet Micah and Malachi were speaking about him. It's not as if it's just Jesus who was prophesied in the Old Testament. John the Baptist was prophesied about in the Old Testament as well. Listen to this. Behold, I send my messenger before you. That's John the Baptist, who will prepare your way uh, before you. And there's a prophecy from Malachi hundreds of years ago. So John was unique in that, uh, in that respect. John was great also in the message that he preached. Here was John. And from the time of Adam up until the time of Jesus coming into this world, the world was waiting for this special one. Right now John the Baptist is saying, there he is. There was something astonishing about that. There was something, uh, there was something great about that. But there was also something great about the way John the Baptist went about being the herald that he was. Remember what the herald was. Do you know we go on to our laptops and our phones, and at the click of a button we can get news as it's happening. It's live, coming from all over the world. It wasn't like that in a past age. You had the town crier who would walk through the streets crying, heralding news. And that's what John the Baptist was. But you know, John the Baptist would have had the same kind of problem as King Herod had and the same kind of problem as you and I all have with this thing called pride. But John the Baptist, by the enabling of God's Spirit, mastered himself. To the extent that he's saying, I want Jesus to be lifted high. He must increase. I want to decrease. I want to be off the scene or out of the equation. And that was a great thing regarding John the Baptist. But let's remember what was said as well. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And remember what we said about that. We put it in context. There were people out there watching Jesus cure deaf people, cure blind people, cure lame people. Actually raise the dead. We've just been reading about the widow of Nain's son. They were there. It was live. 
It was astonishing miracle and teaching before their very eyes and ears. Where's John? He's wallowing in the prison cell. Wallowing in the prison cell. Which would you rather be? There is no question as to which we would rather be. The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then we come on to when all the people heard this and the tax collectors, they too declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized. And I want to say a little bit about the people in general and what was going on with them. And then a wee bit about uh, the Pharisees and the lawyers because they respond very differently to Jesus. Now when it says when all the people heard him, there's a bit of hyperbole there. Do you know at one stage we read that uh, of Jesus that all the world has gone after him. Now that didn't mean literally the whole world actually went after Jesus. It basically meant that a whole lot of people went after Jesus. And that's what's been spoken about here. A lot of people, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just and being baptized uh, with uh, the baptism of John. Now, there's a lot going on there. In other words, they heard the preaching of John the Baptist. A lot of these people, they heard a lot of the preaching of John the Baptist. They came as they were. They came as sinners. There was no other way for them to come uh, to uh, Jesus. And it's interesting, when all the people and the tax collectors, what's going on here? What's so, what's so significant about the tax collectors? The ultimate authority in Israel at this time was Rome. Rome had conquered the land. And Rome had come along and basically said to the people of Israel, not only are we in charge here, we're going to tax you. We want your money. We want to build new roads. We want to build new forts. We want to protect our system. We want to, to uh, cause the emperor to endure. We want to police it well. And all of that cost an awful lot of money. That's why Mary and Joseph were up in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. But you know what? The tax collectors, by and large, not all of them, there are always exceptions to the rule, but the tax collectors were despised because they were local people working for an occupying force, taking the money of the people. And not only were they taking the money of the people, they were taking more than they should have and they were slipping it into their back pockets. They were the despised of the despised. But you know what? Some of them came to Jesus. So when it speaks of the people, they're talking about people who were sinners. And even in the minds of people, the greatest of sinners, the write-offs, the tax collectors. I don't know what's going through your mind today. But I just wonder if you're here and you're being upfront and you're being honest with yourself and you're, being, you're actually saying you know I am a great sinner and that's a big problem well that is a big problem yes but it's that kind of big problem that Jesus came into this world to deal with what do we do about it 
we just go to him and we say, Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. That's what we need to do with our lives and with our sinfulness. That's what we need to do. These people were coming, they were listening to this message, and they were saying, God is just. You see, God had sent Jesus into this world, what for? To pay the price of sin for those who believe in him and they listen to the message they believe the message they accepted the message they said yes God is just God is righteous in all of this and they went on to be baptized with the baptism of John the Baptist which was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins you see what I was speaking about in my children's address today where people believe in Jesus there is always change now I do want to qualify that once again some people think you call yourself a Christian and you think well you think you don't ever sin again that's not the way it is there is a struggle with sin every single day and it will stay there until the day we draw our last breath but that having been said that qualification having been put in there is a change there most certainly is a change and where people believe in Jesus you're looking for the results of that in their activities in life's journey and one of the things is that they're baptized they're baptized if they haven't been baptized as children then they are baptized as as adults the teaching seeps into their thinking and there's a corresponding outward activity in their lives and that's what was going on here with these people and even these uh, tax collectors but there was the reverse of that as well But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by them. Now, who were these Pharisees? You know, Phariseeism started off with a good idea because there was a clash of cultures. You had the Jewish culture and after the Greek empire you had a Hellenistic culture or a Greek thinking culture. And, and they, were, they were uneasy about the Greek influence upon the Jewish way of life. And they, the, the word Pharisee basically means separatist. They wanted to separate themselves from this new cultural influence. And, and I suppose that was a good thing at the outset. But like all good things, it can, it can progress into something that's not so good. And what the Pharisees did was this. They took the word of God and they always added to it. You know, it's the Pharisees and the lawyers. Who were these lawyers? They were the people who were giving an interpretation of the word of God. And so what you ended up with was more than the Word of God. You had the Word of God plus all these traditions. Now it's important when the word tradition comes up in Scripture, sometimes traditions can be good because they're grounded in the Word of God. But sometimes traditions can be bad because they go against the Word of God. But what was happening was this. The traditions were becoming more important than the actual Word of God. 
You know, we are here today and we believe that the Word of God is to be the guide and the cue for everything in our lives. The touchstone on every matter, we come back to what the Bible says. Not all Christians believe that. Some people believe that you go along with the with what the church fathers have said and, and that has equal standing with, with the word of God we do not believe that we believe that the word of God is sufficient for, for all things how did this work out in their lives well you know in Old Testament times you had to you had to tithe that was the minimum you gave to God a tenth of what God gave to you it was it was it was to it was to exercise the faith of those who believed in God. Okay, I'm giving you all these things, but as a as a as a, an evidence of a rapport between us, a bond between us, I want you to give me back a tenth of it. It was his in the first place, anyway. But he's asking for for a tenth back, and it's a test of faith. These Pharisees sometimes were going to the extent of the herbs in their garden they would make sure that they would dedicate a tenth of these herbs to God at the same time as neglecting major things one of the major things in the Old Testament was this that you looked after your parents and your grandparents and whatnot. that you made sure what they were basically doing was saying no no we're not going to bother with them we're going to take what we think should be given to them and we're going to give it to God it was a twisting of the word of God it was turning everything on its head and that's what the Pharisees were doing and here is the message of Jesus of Nazareth and what is the message of Jesus of Nazareth it's the same as the message of John the Baptist we come as sinners and God washes us and God makes us clean and that was just abhorrent to the Pharisees. Because they basically said, we've made the grade. We keep the law. We're up there. We don't need a saviour. We don't need this nonsense of Jesus of Nazareth. And of course the consequence of that kind of belief was this. We're not going to be baptised. We're not going to be baptised. And so there was this great clash two very different responses to the teachings of John the Baptist which effectively are the same teachings uh, at least at the heart of things as the teaching of Jesus of, uh, of Nazareth and you know there's nothing new under the sun because that is exactly the way it is in the year 2023 throughout planet earth there are two responses to the message of God to the human race whether it comes through John the Baptist or through Jesus of Nazareth or through any pulpits or evangelism throughout the world today there are two responses one is to come in all our poverty to listen and to believe and to be baptised baptism that symbolizes a washing and being made clean on the basis of grace and nothing else 
And the other response is this. No, no, no. I've made the grade. I'm up there. I don't need this salvation that comes through the grace of God. I simply don't need it. And so the world today is divided into two very distinctive groups. And the challenge for you and I is this, to ask ourselves, right, which group am I in? And I want to say a little bit about somebody who thinks, well, I'm kind of halfway house. I'm kind of one foot in one camp and the other foot in the other. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. You're in or you're out. You've accepted or you've rejected. That's the way it is. And my hope and prayer today is this, as we reflect on these things, that we would come listening to what God has to say to us, that we would accept God's way of salvation, and that we would fall in line with him, and on our knees before the Lord, our maker, let us fall. And that the changes that I was speaking about in my children's address would indeed be manifest in our lives so that others would see it and they would say, now what is it that's caused that change? And ultimately, you point them in the direction of the source of the change. Who is the source of the change? It's God himself. It's the graciousness of God. It's the kindness of God in providing a Redeemer for people such as you and I. And may reflection on that great truth today cause us to bow before him once more in worship and in adoration. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. We pray that we would be in your word and that we would glean from your word and that the response to interacting with it would be to worship you all over again. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 4. It's found on page 200 and two of the Psalter it's at verse six or who will show us any good is that which many say but of thy countenance the light Lord lift on us alway now listen to this upon my heart bestowed by thee more gladness I have found than they even then when corn and wine did most with them abound I will both lay me down in peace and quiet sleep will take because thou only me to dwell in safety, Lord, dost make. We'll sing these verses of Psalm 4 at verse 6. Oh, who will show us any good?
And now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore.